that is a gift in Cincinnati in February, and then you ask Alexa what the weather is, and if it's anything over 50, I am very happy. So vitamin D today uh, for everyone, which is a uh, rare moment in Cincinnati winters, but uh, thankful to be here this morning. Um, we're continuing on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. We're looking at verses 14 uh, through 22 this morning, so uh, let's jump in there and let me uh, read God's word to us. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of, one, of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the, in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jamie and I, um, Jamie and my wife, there, uh, we have sharp disagreements over the type of shows that we like to watch. Uh, she is much more a Hallmark um, kind of Disney lead me to this world, this world of what it is to come, you know, a new heavens, new earth type thing. Uh, I'm much more, I want to see the reality, the, the realness, the depth, uh, the brokenness uh, that's happening now. I want to feel something in that way. And so we, we never really fully agree on what, what shows we like. Uh, so we usually settle on British crime drama uh, or food shows. Uh, <laughs> so something about food shows are just so addicting in some ways. But there's one particular show, I don't know if you've heard of him, a famous chef named Gordon Ramsay. Uh, he's got a plethora of shows, um, and he's all over the place. I don't know how he does it. He also has a great YouTube video on uh, making the perfect cheeseburger, which I've been really helped with, grilling both sides <laughs> of the bun. It's, check it out. Uh, it's about 10 minutes. But uh, there, some of his shows I don't really enjoy because it's on network TV, and then it's just bleep, bleep. You know, he's not the kindest to people. But there is one show where he travels around the world, and he goes um, all around the world, and he encounters people from very different places and cultures and, and meets with different uh, chefs and food influencers, if that's a thing, I think it is, uh, from the different places. But uh, there's one episode where he goes to Morocco, and he's in Morocco, and, and he goes to the Atlas Mountains among the Berber people. The Berber people lived in North Africa for thousands of years. Um, and shepherds, particularly in this Berber region, it's, it's in, within the mountains of Morocco, and he goes there, and they drive way out there, and he's there, uh, he ends up going, like having to rappel down this waterfall to hunt for morel mushrooms. I think I'm saying that right. Does anyone have, has anyone had those morel mushrooms? Apparently they're amazing, and people, they're very expensive. Uh, people in Michigan, where we used to live, would, would go hunt for those during morel mushroom season. I never understood it, but apparently they're just the flavor profile, everything is amazing. So they're all within uh, this region in the, in the Atlas Mountains, there among these shepherds, 
uh, these Berber shepherds there. And so they go and they hunt and he finds them. And then what they do is they had brought some sort of like flatbread um, there that they, cook, that they cook and they cooked the morel mushrooms over the open flame and then they brought this fresh goat cheese that they just brought. And so they'd like make a pizza out in the open wilderness there. And uh, as he tastes it, the, these mushrooms, the flavors, the, you know, the goat cheese, there's just a sense uh, when he does these things of just this, this community, like this instant bond that's formed with these people around food and around what they've done and this fellowship that's there. They're from very different cultures, from such different places, but there's something about feasting, there's something about meals that, that just has this weight of value, this shared community there. And I think our, uh, you know, particularly the Western culture sometimes uh, devalues meals and its significance and everything, but as have traveled around the world in different cultures and as you encounter, there's just such greater significance sometimes to eating with people, to dining with people, but it's just drawn on this chef that's just not known for being completely rough around the edges, just kind of whatever. He's encountering these people uh, from, who live in the mountains of North Africa who are shepherds, and they're just enjoying this together, and, and there's a bond that's, uh, that's been created there. And one thing I love about uh, the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, you know, it, it'll say who Jesus was and, and how he came. Uh, you see things like the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, the Son of Man uh, came to uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, and then this was pointed out to me one time, uh, just I've never thought about it, but there's actually a book called the Meals with Jesus. But the Son of Man came, uh, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and that how he came. And he's always, the book is talking about how Jesus is always at a meal, going to a meal in someone's house with a meal. Like there's just so much that the reality of how God in the flesh lived was fellowshipping with people, enjoying this meal together, uh, getting to know them, coming into their home. These things. So. So meals and food and, and feasts, they have this deep significance to life, to fellowship, to communion with, with each other, to getting to know each other. And so this is the way that Jesus came, and he was called a tax collector, um, for, or, or he was called a glutton and drunkard for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that he would go and dine with people that were considered outcasts and, and those kind of things. But as we Look at this letter here uh, that Paul is writing uh, to the church in Corinth. They had sent him specific questions that they had, questions of how do we live? How are we meant to live in this world? Uh, as those who are followers of Jesus, what are we meant to do? What are we supposed to take part in? Uh, they had, uh, Corinth was just uh, people from all over. It, it was a, a, a bustling city, those kind of things. So they're, they're writing to him, and the most pressing question that he addresses here as specifically of what are they to do with these feasts uh, that would take place in the temple. So uh, there were feasts that would happen at the temple there. What are, we, how, are we supposed to be part of this or are we not supposed to be part of this? Are we, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do about going to eat and to celebrate uh, these feasts as, as a follower of Jesus? Um, so we're going to see here that the main idea that Paul's saying is, is this. Is he's saying, flee from idolatry as participants in the body of Christ and partakers of the grace of God. Uh, what he says to them is to flee from idolatry as participants in the body of Christ and partakers in the grace of God. Um, a lot of ink has been spilled over uh, parts of this text, digital ink if you're reading online as well, but um, theologians just 
throughout the history of the church, there's been a lot of disagreements just because of what this talks about as far as at what level is it the participation of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ? Are we actually taking on or eating the actual flesh of Jesus or the blood of Jesus? So there's been a lot of uh, theological uh, punches thrown, uh, just a lot of back and forth and trying to seek to understand what this means and what Paul's trying to say here and how it applies. Um, so we, we see that here as far as this meal, this Lord's Supper, communion, uh, also called the Eucharist, uh, those kind of things. And it's going to be an example that Paul sets uh, here as a reason why we're meant to flee from idolatry, as a reason why we're, we're, we're not to take they aren't to take part in these things. So first, Paul says here to flee from idolatry. Um, a few quick things to point out here. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The word therefore uh, is, is used here, uh, meaning that uh, this command flows from previous verses. The first thing in Bible uh, exposition class uh, if you've ever done the, you know, Bible me study methods, those kind of things, they say the first step is always observe. And then you look for key words in the Bible. And anytime you hear, therefore, I can't help but think this now, I have to do it, but anytime you see therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, <laughs> when he's saying that, of just observing the, the flow of what Paul's actually trying to say, and he's stemming from back uh, from these first verses. And as Eric uh, preached last week, uh, just this time, uh, verse 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And so what he's doing is he's drawing back and saying that God has a, is a faithfully present in the midst of temptation, that there aren't certain things, certain temptations that, that no one else has experienced that are uncommon, that are unique in our lives, uh, but that God does. He provides a way out. Uh, and also, uh, in the midst of temptation, he's saying, in the midst of seeing this with the, um, these idol feasts, um, he says, therefore, flee from idolatry. Another thing to note here, just this first verse, um, it's kind of a sermon within a sermon, but I think it's incredibly easy for us sometimes when we read the Bible uh, to just grab the commands, uh, just grab, what, okay, what does God want, want me to do? I remember a former boss years ago, and he was being completely honest, and, and I pre but he just said, I'm just so tired sometimes of church hearing about the love of God and everything. I just want someone to tell me what to do. Uh, and I, I, I just remember thinking <laughs> that it, it's a very much like in a mindset of, and I see that too in myself sometimes of just when I read the Bible, sometimes I just pick out the command and say, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm meant to live. Or there's whole, whole churches that can be devoted to simply, uh, here's your principles for living. Here's, here's what you need to do. Here's that. But I think if we don't, if we see that divorce from the love of God and the grace of God and the gospel, uh, we miss out. And so Paul here is reminding them in the midst of all this and, and idol feasts and the things that they're doing that are just completely sinful in the church in Corinth, he's saying, therefore, my beloved or my dear friends, those who are loved, loved by me, those who again and again are loved by God, he's just reminding them uh, that they are 
because they're following Christ, before, because they're Christians, that they are in uh, union with each other, that he loves them, that he cares for them. And I think we just can never, um, when we see these passages of commands, it's, it's just too easy to kind of say, okay, flee from idolatry. Okay, where are the idols in my heart? I need to rid myself of idolatry, which are very real things. But at the same time, we don't see that based in the gospel. The good news of what God has done for us and the work of the Spirit in us, we just miss out and we have a distorted view of, of God and, and how he views us. Because I think if, if I'm thinking, okay, tell me what I need to do. I just need to do this. My view of God is always going to be sometimes, is he just disappointed in me when I fail again and again and again? It's, it's, how does God view me when I just I can't seem to appease him in, in the way that I go? And so I think when Paul is saying here is flee from idolatry, but he's saying, my dear friends, beloved, that I, that I love you. And notice, too, how intense the word flee is. Uh, he doesn't say stay away from it. He doesn't say just, you know, it's kind of a neutral thing. It's up to you. There's this active fleeing this presence, to flee from it, to, to, to have no part in it, to run away from it. That I, I think that's a you know, helpful thing sometimes. Sometimes the best uh, thing to do in the Monty Python sense is just to run away, uh, to, 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 to go away. When, when there are things that we find that are just numbing us uh, to the grace of God uh, and to the love of God. Uh, so here in the context, as he talks about idolatry, what is that? Uh, it refers to idol worship. So idols are false gods. Idols represent uh, misdirected worship. It's an object of extreme devotion. The Webster Dictionary often is known mostly as an object of religion. Uh, things that are made and worshipped uh, is an idol. But even, even people can take true things about God in the scriptures and turn those into an idol. That, that we get a picture of God that always agrees with us. You know, that that our view of God isn't actually the God in the Bible, the scriptures, but we, we kind of take chunks and pieces and we can actually think, worship that. We, that that's, our, that's our aim, that's our end. But in the context here, they, they are talking about there are many gods in the Greek and the Roman culture. Uh, you have the temple there. But, but really you see in idolatry is created beings bowing down to things that are created, uh, which is kind of crazy when we think about it. But it is the nature, the inclination of our hearts of created beings, people who are created by a creator, bowing down to things that are created uh, and worshiping, giving worth to, giving ultimate uh, purpose to things that are created. There's a theologian, uh, a guy named G.K. Beale. He wrote a book on the theme of idolatry in the Bible. Uh, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and I just laughed as I read G.K. Beale. I pulled this out from my shelf after a while. It's called, it's, it's called We Become What We Worship. But they were talking about how authors in academic circles oftentimes will shorten their names because it sounds more, you know, academic, official. It'll sell more. And I was just laughing when I saw G.K. Beale because just imagine if it was Gus or, you know, something like that. As far as, like, it just doesn't sound as good as J.R. Tolkien or G.K. Beale. So, anyways, uh, Gus. I don't actually know. I think it's maybe Gary, what his real name is. But G.K. Beale, uh, which I, I do love that name, G.K. Beale, he wrote a book called We Become What We Worship. And the main tenet is this. And I've got it on the slide, too. It says, he says, we resemble what we revere, either to our restoration or our ruin. 
does nice work with the four R's there. Um, but we resemble, or we resemble, we take on the characteristics of the things that we revere or that we worship. Uh, and it either leads to restoration or it leads to ruin. And I think this is what Paul's talking about on uh, this, when he's talking about fleeing from idolatry and these feasts in the temple, um, that we, we actually can become like that which we worship. And so people who uh, oftentimes you look back into uh, the book of Isaiah uh, there, and there's main themes of idolatry drawn out there in a lot of ways, of where you would have these gods that people would bow down to, wood and stone, and they would have, you know, but as they had eyes and ears, but these idols were silent. They couldn't hear and they couldn't see. And the people who were worshiping the idols, and, and Paul goes back to even the, the Israelites were doing the same thing, actually take on those characteristics of the idols, where they become blind, where they become deaf to the things of God, where they don't see anymore. And so the, it, and it leads to ruin and not to restoration, but the, the love of God and God speaking uh, into and revealing himself to us, what that leads to, the worship of God, is restoration, is bringing back what was lost at the fall, that we were created in the image of God and yet badly broken back in Genesis 3, and that God has been at work revealing himself and drawing back, and ultimately through the work of Jesus, uh, has, is restoring us and will restore us in the new heavens, new earth. And so he also said people become conformed to what they commit themselves. They take on the nature of things to which uh, they commit themselves. And so that's what we see here when Paul says to flee idolatry. He's answering that direct question of the temple festivities. But I think, too, you know, a lot of times in Western culture, we can, you know, not say, well, I'm not having to go to any temple feasts or those, those kind of things. But I think it is a, a true reality in a lot of the world, too, where there are Christians globally around the world that, that these are very real considerations. Uh, Jamie and I, years ago, were in Cambodia visiting my former roommate who lives in a small village in Cambodia. has been ministering there for years. Um, and we were there at the time that there were these as a Buddhist feasts there in this village. And you just saw we were in, the, in their house and people coming, you know, the whole village gathered there, gathering to do this. You'd hear the music, you'd hear everything. And it was the central part of kind of the community and the life there. And those who are Christians there were on the outs. They weren't, you know, taking part of that. And, and that's where things happen within the village and, and community. And so it is a real consideration there. But I think also we could apply this more generally, just the sense that, that there is idolatry everywhere we look, that we can give worth to and worship to every, everywhere that we see. You know, you think about it particularly um, just as an example with, you know, with money. That, that people can give themselves, give their lives, devote their whole heart to, to making money uh, in order to um, either have enough to, you know, have enough to have status with people. The, they want the comfort, the ease that it comes. Uh, they want the power that it can bring or the approval from others that they've made it. Uh, that there's many things in which deep, buried deep within our hearts, we can take these things, we can take... Um, things and worship them, created things, and they become what we become about. And Paul is saying, again, that those things lead to your ruin. 
uh, not to your restoration. And the example Paul's going to give is going to be this communion meal, the, the Lord's Supper, of, of what they've partaken in, of what they're participants in. And so let's see here, look at verse 16. We'll see the participants in the body of Christ, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Uh, so here we see a few things. First, the cup of blessing that we, bl- that we bless is just this drawing back to the, to the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, to the Lord's Supper, to that, that room where Jesus was with his 12 disciples and where Jesus took a cup and he blessed it. He gave thanks. Uh, and this, he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Uh, and so this idea of blessing, and it, it even draws further back from that moment to the Passover, to uh, that meal between when, uh, God, when the people of God were going to be let out, of, let out of slavery, freed from slavery, slavery, led into the promised land, the exodus there, where they would eat that Passover meal, they would sacrifice a lamb, they would paste the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and God would pass over them, that the wrath of God would be passed over, would be covered by the blood of the slain lamb. And that was all pointing to this, this picture, this image of what Jesus came to do as the true and greater Passover in a new and greater exodus there. And so Jesus, it, it does draw back the cup of blessing that we bless is just drawing this back that Jesus pronounces a blessing, a thanksgiving uh, of his grace, of his mercy, of his love to us in that meal. And it's also the word here for participation. That are, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not participation in the body of Christ? That word is the Greek word koinonia, which is, uh, occurs often in the New Testament. It means fellowship. Um, and it's just this idea that when we're, uh, when one has encountered Jesus, when you've put your faith in him, you're, we're bound up with him. We're united with him. We're in communion with him. We're in fellowship with him uh, there. And so we are participants in the body of Christ. If you follow Jesus, it means that you're, you're participant in the body of Christ and the work of Christ for you. Paul used that term uh, in Christ over 160 times in the New Testament of just, it's just so central to, uh, our, to life in Jesus is this term of in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, that we are partakers of the grace of God in a very real way. And so when you see the, when you drink of the cup, when you eat of the bread in this meal, God is giving us this picture, this sign of, of his grace, of his mercy to us, of the fact that we're in communion with him, that we're united to him uh, through faith. And so this can all seem uh, kind of strange, you know. If you didn't grow up in church, we, we, when we sing about the blood and the body and, and those kind of things, it can all seem strange, but it, it really does draw back, back to the story, the whole picture of God, the story of God um, leading us back into restoration, into salvation, uh, into forgiveness in that. And so Paul is saying here, also, that you're part of a, a new community, a, a new people united to Jesus. You take communion, the Lord's Supper is one uh, people. The one thing he emphasizes is those who eat from one bread are one body. Uh, it's a new community. So he's, he's talking about this, this one bread here, or one body, and it's, it's this picture of just we are 
when, when God draws us, when God calls us, when, when, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're part of this new community, this one people. We're part of the body of Christ united in him. And so we see that here, that this is not primarily an individual thing, uh, but it's a communal thing. And so he's, he's bringing the Corinthians back to the fact that they are part of a new community, a new body, a new people who are set apart, uh, who are pronounced a blessing of thanksgiving, a benediction, if you will, uh, of, of love, of mercy, of grace, and they're part of this there. And so uh, they are participants in the body of Christ. They're also partakers in the grace of God. So as we see Paul saying to flee from idolatry, to not take part in this meal, um, verse 19, Paul says that eating this food of the temple directly sacrificed to idols is not that the idols have power, but it's that there is a reality behind the worship of false gods, and that worship is demonic. Uh, the reality of the world is that there are principalities and powers that are actively leading people to ruin and not to restoration. And so what he's saying is going to these feasts, uh, going and being part of that, uh, that it's, he's not calling the people demonic, but he's saying behind these things are, is nothing but ruin, that there are principalities, there are powers that the, the demonic wants to draw people from the worship of the true God, draw people from uh, what brings the restoration, and ultimately bring them to ruin. And so it's just inconceivable that, that as followers of, of Jesus, as given this new reality, as united to Christ through his work on the cross, that, that they could go and also be part of this, because where it's leading to is their ruin in the end. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table uh, of demons there. Um, so sin, it has this way of, of blinding us from the grace of God. Um, it's shutting our ears to the love of God. And I think that's what he's saying is, if we are, being, if we are part of something that is not neutral, that there's nothing neutral about these temple feasts there, that it, will, it can actually blind us to the love of God, it can numb us uh, to the grace of God, that, that there are things that, the way in which we can live uh, that just make us numb to the brokenness of the world, to the reality that all people need, need to know Jesus. Uh, it can make us not hear of the love of God, and, and we end up becoming numb to the things of God. And so Paul's saying that these idols don't have power in themselves. It's not a tennis match between God and the demons. Uh, that's not really the picture of the Bible at all, where it's uh, just back and forth, God and the principalities, and who's going to win? No, we see God is sovereign, and that God is more like a chess game, uh, where they're just mere pawns in some way, the purposes of God. But at the same time, uh, we do see that there is a reality to this, the principalities of powers behind that. And so I think the question for us is, if you're a follower of Jesus, do we take the time to ponder what we give ourselves to, what we take part in? Are, we, are there things that we take part in that have no redemptive purpose of all, at all that can numb us to the grace of God, the brokenness of the world around us? And the call in the midst of that is, is to flee from those things, but to remember that we're part of a different community, 
to remember God's blessing, the, the blessing that Jesus pronounces over us, uh, that his life was lived in our place, uh, that he died in, for us in our place, the penalty we deserve, and that he rose again. And so it draws us back uh, into those things when we, when, we, um, when we remember what he's done and where he's brought us. I just want to close by reading uh, from Matthew uh, 26 and Jesus and the night that uh, he was betrayed. Jesus says that, or uh, Matthew says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Paul's bringing them back to this picture that they have, that every time we eat, every time we drink, uh, drink of the cup, every time we eat, this, this visible sign of God's invisible grace, that we are reminded that we're united to Christ, and, and it should affect how we look at everything, every part of our lives. And God longs for us to remember in that meal, and he's drawing back, you are participants in the body of Christ. You are partakers of the grace of God. How could we possibly be part of those things? And what this isn't saying is that we're called to simply retreat, uh, to treat and retreat into our own, our own fortresses and button the, you know, just kind of button up, circle the wagons, if you will, and just kind of live with our people. Because you see back to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came eating and drinking. He, he was called a, a tax collector and a glutton because he was, or sorry, he's called a glutton because uh, he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so this isn't a retreat, but it is a sense of we have to have real awareness of where things are that will numb us to God and the reality of it. And it because it's, we're either uh, being restored and made more and more the image of Christ, and God strengthens us and supplies that, or we're becoming numb uh, to who he is and the purposes of God. And so we, we think about that. So it's not a call to retreat, but it's also not a call to, as the Corinthians were doing, just use their uh, Christian liberty, saying, I, I've got Jesus, I'm secure, I'll go do whatever I want. Because, again, the, God draws us back in the fact that Jesus was broken, Jesus uh, died for us, he lived for us, and we too will be with him in a new heavens, new earth. And we look forward to that meal as we, we partake of the meal again and again uh, as his people here. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us. We thank you for uh, that picture that you give us uh, through the Lord's Supper, through the meal that you pronounce blessing over us, uh, you pronounce, you remind us of your mercy to us, that we were lost, and you opened our eyes through, through your Son. Uh, by your Spirit, you draw us, you strengthen us, you lead us, and we pray for wisdom as we just live throughout this world um, and, and how we seek to love you, uh, to love our neighbor, and uh, where you would have us uh, rid ourselves of things in our hearts uh, that we long for, that we worship, that we give more worth to than, than to you. And so uh, thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.